We're going to be in Matthew 12. Uh, today we're going to be uh, referencing uh, the story of Jonah as well. And so as you guys kind of turn there, get settled, um, you know, I just want to offer two bits of wisdom uh, before we get started this morning. Um, the first is um, don't ever give your boss a hard time in public. And always check your calendar really, really well uh, before you say yes to something big. Uh, so last time I preached, I gave Justin a hard time about having me go last. Uh, he and Steve and I were, were preaching on Thanksgiving back in November, um, and I went last. And, and, and I said up here uh, in both services, I gave him a hard time about me going last because he and Steve took all of my points. Uh, everything I was going to talk about, they took... And so that week of my sermon, I'm scrambling, figuring out what am I going to talk about because they did everything already. Um, so I gave him a little bit of a hard time. And so in his generosity and graciousness, um, as we were getting ready to start this series on the resurrection, he asked if I wanted to go first, and I jumped at the chance. Like, yes, I'm going to start off, get to say what I want to say, and I don't have to worry about anybody taking my points. Um, I didn't check my calendar, though. Um, first, I didn't know today was daylight savings time until, like, last week. Uh, and I'm not a morning person at all. Uh, and so it, it's rough. It's really, really rough right now. Um, I, feel like I, should, I, sh- I feel like I should still be in bed. Um, also, I didn't check my calendar because I had a Hebrew 2 midterm this week, um, which I passed. Um, I did pass, but it, like that was a lot of my week. Um, I've got a, a training meeting for our UK mission trip right after church today. It was just, it was a week. It was a busy, busy week. Um, and so I'm, I'm a little bit exhausted right now, um, but it, 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 it's all good. And I am thankful that Justin uh, entrusts me uh, to be able to come up here and um, to, uh, to teach uh, you guys, um, but again, just careful what you say and check your calendar first. Um, so, all right. Uh, so, over the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be uh, looking at several passages about the resurrection uh, as we lead up to Palm Sunday and as we lead up to Easter and and celebrating uh, the, rex- the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and so, with that being said, we're going to be in Matthew twelve uh, thirty eight to forty two today, and uh, in this passage, Jesus is questioned uh, by the scribes and the Pharisees. They, they want a sign. They want to see a miracle uh, to convince them uh, that Jesus is uh, who he has claimed that he is. Uh, and, and so, however, we're um, in, in initial reading, it doesn't always seem like this has too much to do with the resurrection, um, but we're going to see here that, that Jesus is foretelling uh, of his death and his resurrection, and that he is warning the religious leaders of the consequences of their unbelief. So uh, read with me in Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, 
so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And look, something greater than Solomon here. It's important as we, we study our Bible and, and really as we, we study or we look or do anything in our lives that, um, that we, we look at the context of the situation. Uh, I, I've mentioned this before. I, I'm pretty sure up here, but I know downstairs that uh, there was a, a church sign one time that quoted Matthew 4.9. Um, in Matthew 4.9, it sounds like this really great verse. It says, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, this is like a church sign, like out by the road. And somebody put this on the church sign with their church's name on it. All right? Um, and it sounds great. Fall, fall down and worship me, and I will give you all of these. Um, until you understand the context of that verse and realize that that is Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness. All right? Um, so don't be like that church and quote Satan. All right? Um, it's a bad look. Uh, it's a bad policy. Um, quoting uh, Satan on your church sign there. So, so don't do that. Um, so, so find out, look around, take the extra time um, to see what the context of the passage is that you're reading. And so uh, with that being said, I, I want us to look at the context here uh, of our story in Matthew 12. And so we're going to go back towards the end of Matthew chapter 11. Um, and here we, we find two teachings from Jesus. One is uh, he is uh, denouncing, he's pronouncing a woe upon these unrepentant cities, these cities that, that will refuse to repent of their sinfulness, of their uh, wickedness, and, and turn from them. And so he's pronouncing a, a, a woe upon them. And, and following that, Jesus then is calling people to come to him, uh, to come to him and to find rest in him. And then chapter 12 begins, and and throughout the chapter, Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees and, and our stories, the scribes, the kind of the religious lawyers of the day join in. And, uh, uh, but, but throughout Matthew 12, Jesus lays out these six portraits of, of who Jesus is. That he is greater and, and better than the things and the traditions and the laws and the prophets and the kings uh, that the religious leaders hold on to so Dearly, And then chapter 12 ends with a story of Jesus' mothers, uh, or not mothers, he has one mother, uh, his mother and his brothers uh, coming to him and, and wanting to speak to him and talk with him. And, and he looks around at his disciples and at his followers and he says, uh, this is my family. Those who, who follow me, those who do the will of the Father, they are my brothers, they are my sisters, they are my mothers. This is my new family. Uh, and in many ways, this is a parallel to the end of chapter 11, uh, where Jesus pronounces this woe on the unrepentant cities and on the unrepentant scribes and Pharisees and calls a new family to himself. And then chapter 13, then, is this series of, of parables teaching on the kingdom of heaven, the parable of the sowers and the parable of the, 
uh, leavened bread and the parable of the, the weeds and, and the wheat and the parable of the, uh, the great treasure and the fish and the nets. And he talks about um, uh, what the kingdom of heaven is like and who enters into it. And then at the end of, uh, of those teachings, Jesus is rejected by, his, the, by the people of his hometown of Nazareth. So it's a bit of a theme in, these, uh, in this section of Jesus being rejected um, by those who you would think would be accepting him. And so this is kind of the context that we find our, our story in in Matthew 12. Uh, but Jesus references the, the story of Jonah. Uh, and so I, I grew up in church um, from the time of real young till, till now. Um, and so I grew up in the church, and so the story of Jonah and the whale was one that was, um, I felt like every six months we were doing in Sunday school as a kid. Uh, and I grew up in a church where we had flannel graphs. Um, and so like the first service, they knew all about flannel graphs. I don't know how many of you uh, know about these. There was these pieces of felt um, that you would put on a felt board uh, and everything. The problem was when you tried to layer them, they would fall um, and so it was really hard to do like real in-depth stories and detailed stories sometimes, and, or maybe ours were just old. Um, but we would have the, the, the flannel graph, and there would be like this massive whale, and there would be Jonah and, uh, and the boat um, and, and all of this. And um, So we grew up with the story of Jonah, but I, I kind of want to walk through um, uh, the, the story of Jonah for you. Maybe you forgot a few points, or, or maybe you didn't grow up in church, and, and you're, who's this Jonah guy? Um, so, well, Jonah is a prophet, was a prophet, uh, to the kingdom of Israel. And, and so God called Jonah to go and preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. And Nineveh was uh, one of the, the great cities of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were a people um, that, uh, even to this day, are historically renowned for their cruelty. Um, they were an enemy of God's people, the Israelites, and uh, just a, a little bit of background about their wickedness and, and evilness. They would, um, so like they would skin people alive as a form of punishment. Um, they would pull out people's tongues, uh, which is like as a teacher or parent, that doesn't sound terrible all the time. Um, just the, the back, you know, back talking. There's some Assyrian punishment there. Um, but uh, so they would do that. They would um, uh, use decoratively display mounds of human skulls uh, around. Like they killed so many people, they had so many skulls lying around, they could just decorate with them. Um, I've not approached Megan about this subject yet, um, but I'm pretty sure we're not going to be using human skulls or any kind of skulls, really, no, um, to, uh, to decorate our home uh, or anything like that. But they, this was the kind of people uh, that they were. They would take the heads of enemy kings and would just like hang them around their, their cities, as, again, as decoration, um, which just, you know, if you ever feel like, hey, a severed head, I want to use that as a piece of decoration uh, where I live, like there's probably some, some other things going on there that need to be addressed. Um, but uh, this was the type of people that Assyria were. They were synonymous with cruelty and wickedness. And so this is a primary reason that Jonah doesn't want to go preach repentance to Nineveh. He knew that if he did, that there was a chance that they would repent because God is so great and gracious and powerful. And Jonah didn't want Assyria to repent. 
He wanted them destroyed. And so, being the man that he is, Jonah runs away. And he gets in a boat. Which, FYI, if you ever find yourself in a biblical story, don't get in the boat. Run away from the boat. If you're already in the boat, get out. All right? Nothing good in the Bible ever happens in a boat. All right? There's a flood. There's a storm. There's a shipwreck. Like Paul. Like Paul, like we think, is a fairly smart guy. Like he was shipwrecked like three or four times. Like at some point, stop getting in the boat. All right? So, again, sorry, sorry for the aside there, but just stay away from boats in Bible stories. Um, but he gets in the boat, and they go. They start sailing in the exact opposite direction of where he was commanded to go. Uh, and so a storm comes up. God sends a storm, and, and the sailors, they're all fearful for their lives, and so they start praying to their gods, and, and Jonah is asleep in the boat. And there's a really cool parallel here between this story of Jonah and the storm in the boat and Jesus being asleep in the boat during a storm and the disciples being fearful for their lives. You can read that on your own and, and, and study it. But they go and they wake Jonah up, and he says, look, the reason the storm is here is because I'm running from God. I'm from running from my God. And so the sailors toss him over, all right? Throw him over into the ocean. Storm stops. Jonah is sinking, and God sends a, a great fish. I'm going to say fish. I'm going to alternate between fish and whale. Just, I mean the same thing. All right, um, but he, he sends this great fish to swallow Jonah. All right, and he's in the belly of this whale for three days and three nights, and, and we're told that he prays. And if you go and read this prayer, it's not a very repentant prayer. All right, but he, he does pray, and he does kind of get to the point where he's like, "I'll I'll go. If you still want me to go, I'll go, and I'll preach this. Uh, I'll, I'll preach to the Ninevites." And so uh, this was the coolest part of the story for, like, young kids, especially young boys. Um, the, the fish then vomits Jonah out onto dry land, uh, which I just like kind of the visual imagery of a fish vomiting somebody out. All right? Um, Megan says that I still have a little bit of, like, eight-year-old Jeff in me, and it comes out every once in a while. This is one of those times. Um, but uh, so he goes, uh, he goes reluctantly to Nineveh. And he proceeds to preach the worst sermon of all time. Um, it is, without a doubt, the worst sermon of all time. Like, if I were to preach this sermon, like, I'd be fired immediately after. All right? It's five words in Hebrew. Some of you are thinking, that might be the greatest sermon of all time. I'll take that today. But it's five words in Hebrew, and it, it, it says... Um, uh, in 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. There's no mention of God. There's no mention of repentance. There's no mention of anything else other than, hey, in 40 days, this place is laid waste. Um, and then what happens is the entire city repents, mourns over their sinfulness and their wickedness and their evil from the lowest of low all the way to the king. They are so serious about this. We, we have a cat, and we, we go a little crazy with our cat. We bought our cat for Christmas a bow tie. It was a little red flannel bow tie. It looked really, we called him a fancy cat when he had the bow tie on. 
All right, so we, it, we, people can get a little carried away with. But they would they dress their animals, their cattle in sackcloth as a sign of mourning and repentance over their evilness and over their wickedness. This is how broken they were and how repentant they were of their sinfulness. And so God's judgment on Nineveh was postponed because of their, their repentance. And this is exactly what Jonah didn't want to happen, but what God did want to happen. And so there's more to the story of Jonah. Uh, you can go read it for yourself. Um, I'm a little past five words now, but so I'm going to move on uh, with the rest of my sermon. So back in, back in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus addresses the scribes and the Pharisees, and, and they're questioning and demanding from him a sign, demanding from him a, a miracle uh, to, to, again, to prove to them that he is who he says he is. And, and he calls them an evil and adulterous generation. And, and you have to understand, these were men who were considered really to be perfect before the law. Uh, every law, every statute, every little bit of, of minute detail, they would have, uh, at least to the letter of it, have followed and obeyed, and they, they prided themselves on this. And so pe- they would have seen themselves, and most people would have seen themselves as, as being perfect according to the law. However, Jesus knew their hearts, and he knew their purposes, and he knew their plans, and he knew what was on the inside, and he knew that they truly were an evil and an adulterous generation because they refused to see in the one standing before them the one that they claim to be looking for, the anointed one of the Lord. They love and memorize the law and the prophets and the wisdom writings, but they refuse to see before them the Word made flesh. They'd either seen themselves or heard tales of, of all of Jesus' teachings and His miracles. That's why they're there. That's why they're there. They, they've heard of Jesus' teachings. Or they've, seen, they, they've seen them. They've heard of them. They've heard or seen all of his great miracles, his healings. And so they're curious. But it's not good enough for them. It's not enough for them to take what they had heard or maybe what they had already seen at, at face value and say, look, this, this, he has to be from the Lord. He has to be. What he has done, he has to be the anointed one of the Lord. No, they, they want something more. They want a further sign. They want another miracle right then to confirm to them what they think about Jesus. They've heard Jesus claim the authority and greatness due to Him. They've, they've heard of these prior miracles that for most people would have been enough to attest to those claims, but they don't want to believe. They refuse to believe. They want another sign. They will later in Matthew, in chapter 21, they'll ask by what authority Jesus does these things. They'll say, we, we want to see something even more spectacular to let us know for sure this time that God has sent you. Show us. Prove to us that it is God that has sent you and that you're not doing these things by the power of Satan. So if you can imagine just kind of the gall of these people, that they've seen Jesus do all of these things, and yet they stand before God the Son and say, you know what, I think you might be of Satan. 
So prove to us that you're not. At that point, there's, there's no sign that's going to be great enough to prove to them. Their hearts are hardened. They don't want to believe. They are, as Jesus calls them, an evil and adulterous generation. They refuse to see the truth. They refuse to see the power and the authority that Jesus has regularly and consistently manifested in his ministry. They are ultimately not concerned with seeking God, but with maintaining the the institutions and influence that they have built up for themselves. They've been unfaithful to God and instead are seeking satisfaction in other things. Seeking satisfaction in works. Seeking satisfaction in power and authority in worldly realms. And now they are questioning God's Messiah. They are questioning God Himself, and they have chosen to reject Him. So Jesus tells these scribes and Pharisees that have assembled together that you're not going to get another sign. You're not going to get another miracle except the sign of Jonah. And so what does that mean? What does the sign of Jonah mean? Well, Jesus reminds them that Jonah spent three days and nights in the belly of the fish. And then he says, he tells them that the Son of Man will then spend three days in the heart of the earth. And so with hindsight, we know that Jesus is foretelling his resurrection. Jonah was in the fish for three days, and after that he came out. Destruction was preached, and the wicked were saved. Jesus tells them that he will give them a greater sign than even Jonah, 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 Jonah in the belly of the fish. Unfortunately for them, the sign would come later. And they didn't want to wait. And I think this speaks to us a lot. We, we're an impatient people. And when we want something to happen, we want it to happen right then. And when we want God to move or, or we ask God for something, we want Him to move or to give it to us right then. We don't want to wait. We don't want to exercise patience. We, we, we don't want to look back and see how God has been faithful in our past to, to, to give us encouragement and boldness and strength to, to get through what we're going through right now. We, wanna, we want another sign. We want another miracle. We want another proof. And this is what, this is what the scribes and the Pharisees are asking for. This is what they're demanding. They, they want something right now. They, they, they want to they wanna see Jesus swallowed by a fish and spit out. And they think that then they'll believe. And the truth is, is it doesn't matter what Jesus would have done right there. They, their hearts were hardened. They were never going to believe. And so we know that Jesus was dead for three days and that after that He was raised from the dead. That repentance was preached. And ever since, all who confess and believe in Him have been saved. And there, there are so many parallels between Jonah and Jesus uh, in addition to both of their resurrections. Jonah disobediently runs away from the commands of God. Jesus obediently comes. Jonah hates those that he is called to go to. Jesus loves them sacrificially. Jonah sought to escape from the storm through death. 
Jesus both calms the storm and is willing to lay down his life for sinners. Jonah preaches destruction. Jesus preaches repentance. Jonah hopes for the Ninevites' destruction. Jesus and prays and works towards our salvation. Jonah did not want the Ninevites in God's family, and Jesus welcomes all people who believe in him into his new family. And the kicker here, the, the slap in the face for the, for the scribes and Pharisees is this, is Jesus tells them that it will be these men, these wicked men of Nineveh, these enemies of ancient Israel that will rise up on the day of judgment and condemn them. The wicked Assyrians who repented at the preaching of Jonah, they will look at the scribes and they will look at the Pharisees and say, you had it. You had the, the, the Son of God, the Messiah, standing in front of you, performing miracles and teaching, calling you to repentance, and still you refused. Still you would not believe. In Matthew 23, Jesus gives seven woes to these same scribes and Pharisees. They, they continually refused to believe who Jesus was. They'd become so institutionalized within the framework of their religion that they had stopped looking for God. They had stopped worshiping God, and they would stand condemned on the day of judgment by the most feared of Israel's ancient enemies. But these enemies were ones who had the faith to repent of their sins, where the scribes refused. The Jonah account here in, in Matthew 12 is followed by another short story, and it's, it's that of the queen of Sheba, queen of the south, seeking the wisdom of Solomon in his court. And Jesus tells the scribes and Pharisees that this pagan queen will rise up just like the men of Nineveh on the day of judgment and will condemn them as well because she believed simply at the wisdom of Solomon. And they have before them one who is greater and wiser than Solomon, one who is the source of the king's wisdom. And so they refuse to see Jesus as the greater one. They refuse to see Jesus as the one who was foretold, the one that they were supposed to be preparing the people for, the one that they were supposed to be longing for and hoping for and praying for. He is there. Jesus is the greater prophet. His sign, the sign of His resurrection, is the greater sign. It's greater than, than, than Jonah in the whale for three days and three nights. It is greater than all of the other signs given in the Old Testament. And yet, where the people of Nineveh repented and mourned because of their sin against God, the religious leaders of Jesus' day were proud and they questioned and mocked God, and they mocked him, they mocked God the Son to his face. They refused to repent. They refused to believe, both now and after his resurrection. They were still seeking to, to quiet him, to, to crush the name of Jesus, even after his resurrection. And so they have chosen for themselves their own destruction by rejecting Jesus. 
And it becomes the ultimate slap in the face for, for these men, for these religious leaders of Israel, was Jesus tells them, he goes, look, these evil, wicked, pagan men and this pagan queen of the south, they're going to be the ones that condemn you. They're going to judge you. The, 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 the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes would have been ones who regularly judged people they found less than themselves. Because they felt that was their place. They were proud of themselves. They were haughty. And Jesus says, no, it is these that you would judge. It is these that you would condemn that are going to rise up and judge you and condemn you on the day of judgment. So what do we do with the resurrection? See, the resurrection, it's demanding. We don't often think of the resurrection as being something that demands anything from us, but it does. John Chrysostom um, He's an early church father in the late 4th and early 5th centuries. Um, Once spoke in one of his his homilies, one of his uh, teachings, he says, For to the resurrection indeed, all succeeding time was to bear witness. The resurrection is truly the most important and remarkable event in history. It is the greatest sign of who Jesus is. God the Son sent, incarnate, to earth to live and die and rise again for God's glory and our salvation. Paul claims in, in one of his letters that, that if the resurrection is not true, if it did not happen, if Jesus just died and he's still laying somewhere rotting away in the grave, then all that we believe and all that we do is vain. That it's worthless. That all of us should have just slept in today And moving our clocks forward one hour wouldn't have been that big of a deal. And we could just go on about our lives. That we wouldn't need this building, that we wouldn't need any of this if the resurrection is not true. The resurrection is true. History and the evidence attest to that. It is a sign, a marker in history that demands a response from all people. So all people must make a choice when confronted with the truth of the resurrection. To accept it and to confess Jesus as their Savior and Lord or to reject it as the scribes and Pharisees did. See, the resurrection is a great uniter of people. It unites people of all nations, of all tribes and tongues throughout the ages. It unites them into this new family that Jesus says is His. And so it unites all believers, but it also divides. It separates out those who do not believe from those who do. That's why it's telling and important that in right after this, in, in chapter 13, we have these parables of the kingdom where Jesus describes people being separated. He likens them to wheat and weeds. That on the day of judgment, He will send His his workers, He will send His servants to separate the wheat from the weeds. And then they'll take the weeds and they'll throw them in the furnace. And later in the parable of the fish and the nets, He says that there will be good fish and there are bad fish. And He will have His servants go and separate them and that the bad fish, the evil, the wicked ones, 
are to be taken and to be separated and thrown into fiery furnace. The resurrection and belief in Jesus, it can unite those who believe in Him or it separates and divides and condemns those who refuse to believe. Next, the resurrection demands from us humility. Because it becomes quickly apparent that apart from the work of God and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that we are lost, hopeless. And so we have to be careful to not puff ourselves up and and think more highly of ourselves than we should because we've not saved ourselves. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't work for it. This was the Pharisees' problem. They, they thought if they, would just, if they could just keep all of the laws, if they could follow the letter of the law to the nth degree, to the smallest detail, then they would be saved. And it became all about the rules, and it became all about the checklist. And it, beca- it can become that way for us sometimes. Is it, it, we just, it, I, I go to church, and, and I read my Bible, and I listen to Christian music, and I give, and I serve, and I do this, and I do that, and I do all of these things, and I'm good, and I'm fine. And it's evidence of pride, it's evidence of, of haughtiness, it's evidence of, of believing that you don't need Christ Jesus to have died for you, that you can handle it on your own, that you can save yourself by being a good person. The truth is none of us can save ourselves. None of us can be that good. It is only by grace through faith, which is a gift from God, so that no man may boast. We need to remain humble in light of the resurrection. The resurrection demands from us acknowledgement of Jesus and who he is. The religious leaders of his day refused to acknowledge Jesus for for who he is, the the greater prophet, the wiser king, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Son of God. All of the signs were there. All the evidence was there that they needed to believe, but their hearts were hardened and they refused. They refused to acknowledge him. They refused to, to, to worship him. They refused to bow down before him. And so we need to, with our lives, in light of the resurrection, in the light of the life and death of Jesus, we need to acknowledge Him for who He is, that He is our Savior and our Lord. Lastly, for those that believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it demands from us action. That once we believe that there is action on our part that needs to take place. It demands obedience and it demands proclamation. Jesus laid down his life out of obedience to the Father for us. And so we're called to live lives of obedience for him. We are called to follow after him. We are called to obey his commandments. We are are called to, to kindness. We are called to humility. We are called to love. We are called to serve. 
We are called to gather together to worship and to encourage and to hold one another accountable. That involves action. That involves doing something. And we don't, again, we don't do these things to save ourselves, but we do these things out of obedience and out of gratefulness and thankfulness to Him for what He has done for us. He has done so much for us. And so whatever we do for Him pales in comparison, but yet we do it out of love. We do it out of thankfulness because He gave Himself up for us while we were still sinners. So we are called to obedience, but we are also called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. In light of the resurrection, look, even Jonah in his reluctance and his hatred of the Ninevites, after his three days in the belly and being vomited out, he still went and preached and proclaimed. He still went. And so we, in light of the resurrection of Jesus, are to go and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to all people. Whether we like them or not, whether we think they're deserving of not, or not, because the truth is that none of us are deserving of the gospel. We are all sinners deserving of death. And yet Jesus, through His life and His death and His resurrection, promises us eternal life. It is a gift. And so who are we to deny that to other people? So the resurrection demands that we go and we proclaim this good news to Christ Jesus. This good news that Jesus loves us. That He lived and died for us. And that one day He will return for us. This is our hope. This is our source of joy. Our source of security. The Gospel. So just in a, in a moment, Shad's going to come out and he's going to play and he's going to sing and, and we're going to stand and sing. And, and I want you to take this time and I want you to examine your heart, examine your life. And, and maybe you're here today and you say, hey, look, you know what? I, yeah, I believe the resurrection. I believe in the, the, the life and the, 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 the death and the, of Jesus and, and everything the Bible has to say about it. I believe that. But maybe you're sitting here and saying, you know what? Maybe I've just kind of, I've just sat here and I've taken and I've consumed and I haven't actually done anything. I haven't taken action. So maybe I need to do more. Maybe I need to, to serve. Maybe I need to be more involved. Maybe I need to do something. And so I want you to take this time to think about that, pray about that. Come, come down and pray at the altar. Maybe you're living a, a life of, of pride and haughtiness and you've kind of puffed yourself up to be more and better than you, you truly and actually are in light of the Bible. And maybe you, you need to repent of that. Maybe you need to, to pray for, for boldness to, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Christ Jesus to those around you, to, you said, you know, I, I, I haven't done that. I, I've struggled with that. Maybe you need to come and, and pray about that. Maybe you need to commit yourself 
to obeying the word, to obeying Christ's commands more, commit yourself to, to proclaiming the good news more. Or maybe you're sitting here and you say, you know what, I've, I've never believed. I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about what you're saying, but I want to know more. I've got questions. And so I'd encourage you to come either, either during the, the, the invitation time or, or afterwards, find myself or, or Pastor Justin or Pastor Steve and, and say, hey, look, I've, I've got questions. I want to know more about those Jesus. I want to know more about the resurrection. I want to know more about what you're talking about. Come and talk with one of us. Come and find one of us because we want to share it with you because it is the greatest news in all of history.